Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. Say positive things about us on Twitter and Facebook. If you haven't yet given us a five-star review, pause your recording and give us a five-star rating and review. Follow us on Twitter at, at @clergylay and join our Facebook discussion group. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician. And usually I would say, and this is my brother, Chris, a priest. But Chris is on vacation at the beach. Instead, we have a wonderful treat. We have Father Joe Gasberry making a second appearance on Haber Bros. Father Joe is the assistant rector at Christ Church, Savannah, Georgia. Joe, how are you? Well, Kirk, in the words of your brother, I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I love when your brother that. says that. Kirk, I'm great. And he has that, that kind of emphasis on the great there. Yes. But I'm, pretty, yes. I'm, I'm pretty good. I'll just say I'm pretty good. Good, good, good. We, uh, uh, we as Habermans are, are kind of constitutionally glass half full type of people. So, so I'm, I'm glad that you're feeling great too. Uh, I've been accused of being like a sunny optimist, even when it's not warranted. So, so well, welcome <laughs> to sunny optimism, Joe. Thank you. It's good to be here guys. Well, it's just you. Yes. How's summer? Summer is, uh, it's, it actually cooled down a little bit here in Savannah. So it's down uh, to I'm, 103? Yeah, something like that. Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's really weird how it, it's been raining a bit this week. Um, it's funny, we were thinking about going to the beach today because um, it's kind of right down the road from us. But it, it's um, it just got signs of thunderstorms and it's just not looking right. But but it's a it's a surprisingly cooler August in Savannah. But I shouldn't speak so soon. It will it will definitely shoot up the heat and humidity wise gets rough. But yeah. But yeah, but it's 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 living the dream here. Yeah. In the beautiful American South by the beach. Can't beat it in historic yes. Savannah, Georgia. I love it. Well, last night, uh, my oldest son, um, he uh, today is his last day of his first ever band camp. Oh, yes. So last night was uh, the parent picnic. And um, and at the end, they they dragged us all out to the stadium and they, they did a portion of their halftime show. And it was the coolest thing to see, uh, to see my son out there. And within, you know, in, in nine days of band camp, um, just how much the kids learn and they put it together. And this is a thing a lot of bands do when they kind of 
do their their parent show, kind of get parents excited about what their kids have done at band camp, and 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 and, and get them excited about the uh, the halftime show that's going to be coming this year. Is oftentimes they'll say, and now parents, uh, why we need a parent to come on down. Your child's going to teach <laughs> you how to march, and um, and I. I I know you marched your way down, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I did go down, and and I know a bit about marching band. I actually spent five years, about a decade ago, um, as as an assistant marching band director. I think I actually played football. I didn't do marching band, so I had to learn a lot of that on the fly. I know a lot about band and nothing about marching. But um, uh, the, our head band director told me, and she's like, ah, "If you know the music, I can teach you the marching stuff." So, so um, I I had a bit of a background in that. But to see my son with pride standing beside me saying, dad, he handed me his baritone, right? He's like, dad, come on, mouthpiece at chin level, chin up, come on. Like <laughs> showing me how to stand at attention and, and, and how to march and a proper proper step and all of that. Um, just with like a little extra pride and confidence. That was so cool, Joe. Wow. It was so great. I, I uh, my only experience with an instrument was I, I used to play the trumpet. There you um, go which was a very like I started to play and then I could play Mary had a little lamb <laughs> and that was it and then I gave it up which I was so upset about and I, I just um I kind of um flunked out of it I I, I just didn't want to deal with perhaps the responsibility of taking care of an instrument um but, that is a part of it it was a part of it yeah yeah, yeah. I wish I would have stuck with it. That's my one, one of my, one of my multiple regrets of, of life, I guess. I, I, I cannot tell you how many, it has to be in the dozens, Joe, how many people have with like bitter bitterness in their voice with deep, bitter regret. Um, when they find out that I'm a musician, um, exclaim to me that they played such and such, you know, piano or violin or trumpet. Uh, um, and, and they quit and the parents let them quit and um and they just regret it and so you are you're not alone in that yeah um and i love the brass i'm like man why did i do that yeah yeah no that that yeah. is a thing my, my children i just i don't know if i've ever said it out loud but they're they're only going to play brass because <laughs> i don't i don't want like a squeaking clarinet or a saxophone in my house practicing and plus i can help them with the brass um, I played trombone. I can kind of muddle through with trumpet or baritone. Simon is signed up for French horn, Joe. I was just going to say, like, I, I think that if I were to step up a game to something like French horn would be, would be something I, I, I'd want to pursue next. Or it was a, a, I mean, I don't know, just a standard trumpet is what I had. Um, the three, you know, here's me thinking I know what I'm talking about. Um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh yeah. but yeah but french horn it has a beautiful sound i love that sound yeah yeah um yeah so do that pick up pick up the french horn it is it is it is beautiful it's difficult um if you ever pick it up the the mouse mouthpiece is impossibly tiny like it's mm. it's very difficult to produce like a pleasant sound it takes several several weeks to even to produce like something that doesn't sound like a flatulent goat or whatever but and then, <laughs> a flatulent goat not i i just pulled that out of here i don't i don't have a lot of experience with flatulent goats sure you do you live on the shire don't you i mean isn't that that's the, right don't they have so many live, goats we there? live in a we live in a goatless shire 
Ooh. I, I mow my yeah. lawn. We don't, we don't have goats eating our lawn. Yeah. But if you, um, Joe, if you ever um, played the French horn and you, you're playing in your neighborhood, um, people might say, is this not Joseph, whose mother and father we know? That's a something like that. I was struck. What a, what a, what a transition. transition. That's you terrible. were dying for that transition. <laughs> Joe, let's look at the yes. gospel for this Sunday. Let, let us look at the gospel. Today's gospel is from the gospel of John, chapter 6, uh, beginning with the 37th verse. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the, Jew, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know. How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread... He will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, Kirk, I, I'd love to hear either your initial thoughts, or if you want to give my own, if you would like me to give my own first, um, I'm I'm up for grabs for however you want to do that. Yeah, Joe. Well, um, are first of all, are you preaching this Sunday? I am not. You're not um, my, my, oh. my rector is. I preached last Sunday, though. Okay. Um, right. And, so, and so last, there's. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. I was going to say that, that there it might be good to give a little bit of context because we're jumping in to John 6 here in the middle of this right. big discourse. And um, I know last week you kind of gave a little bit. Christopher gave some good context. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was going on because we're we're going from the, the lectionary with Mark, the Gospel of Mark now into the Gospel of John, which I think we're in the Gospel of John for about the rest of August. 
Um, yeah, I we're think gonna that's right. we're gonna we're gonna tarry a bit in John. Yeah, it seems like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so uh, this is in the, the the midst of after Jesus just declared that I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he's talking to the crowds that had come chasing Jesus after he fed them um, with the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. And they're, they're asking him about, you know, what are the works of God? What signs do you perform? All of it really smacks of Exodus, um, of yes. the people, the Israelites grumbling in the wilderness, uh, demanding and testing the Lord, actually, and Moses, um, which if you were following the lectionary last week, it had the Exodus text and it had that John text. So the parallel between Israel and this crowd was just so, it was just, yes. it was just mimicking it. I mean, it was so close. Um, so I kind of drew out those parallels. The other thing I drew out, which also is very evident in our text today, is the classic I am statements of Jesus. Mm. So Jesus says, I am statements a lot in the gospel of John. You may have heard, I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The very first time he says an I am statement is here in John 6 to say, yes. I am the bread of life. Um, it's the first I am statement. Um, and when, when he says I am, it's really going back to Exodus again. It's going back to um, Exodus with the burning bush and Moses, where Moses asked the question, well, what name shall I give to the people of Israel who is going to deliver them or, or to speak to Pharaoh? And, and uh, out of the bush, the Lord says, I am. Um, and so Jesus here in this text, when he says, I am, he is ascribing divinity to himself. He, in fact, is Yahweh. Um, and, and so we, we see a lot going on here, which is in part why the Jews are grumbling. Um, the Jews are grumbling a, a couple of reasons. One is the statement it says, let's see here. Um, they grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Then they go into their the, bio, the biography of Jesus. Like, isn't right. this this guy that we know? Like, <laughs> yeah, he, you know, he's this kid down the block of the street. Like, who is he's not Moses? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, we remember um, him when he played right field on the little league team and couldn't catch a fly ball. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. He gave up on trumpet, didn't he? He, he, right. he didn't finish trumpet either. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but 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 so again, so we we see this discourse going on where Jesus keeps coming back to this theme that he is the bread of life, that his body and blood gives life. We've only talked about his body right now. Later, he'll talk about his blood. That's where it really sets the people off, I think, where they get super uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> talking about eating flesh and drinking blood, that's where it gets just the tensions really rise up. Um, but yeah, so I, I think the things to pull out for the context really has to do with the first I am statement um, that, that he's talking to this crowd of people who came from this big miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Um, and I think my, my one observation is I like to pull out what's uh, what is um, repeating here and what's being repeated for our text is the phrase, and I will raise him up on the last day. Yes. Um, it really reminds me of that uh, 
the the, the hymn, of course, um, I am the bread of life, which, uh-huh. you know, I was speaking with my parish musician and I was joking with him about it because a lot of organists don't actually like playing that hymn. Right. Um, they talk about how difficult it is and how hard it is to sing, actually. Well, because um, it's not, the text isn't versified. So right. I forget if I talked about this last week. Um, I'm not sure. I, but, I, yeah. but like it jams in uh, in different verses, like sometimes like 12 syllables into one, one, uh, <laughs> one measure. <laughs> and then the next verse, it'll use three syllables for that same. Uh, I think because the text is so profound that it doesn't want to set it to poetry and in doing so alter any of these words because these words mm-hmm. are just, um, well, they're, I mean, they are, they are so, I don't want to say almost magical, but like they, well, they, they cause the Jews to grumble, right? They are, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven and I will raise them up in the last day. If you, if you alter them, it might kind of rob them of their shock and power, mm. right? The same shock and power that'll rip us out of the grave on the last day. But go ahead, um, Joe, you were saying. No, that, that's great. I, I, I think maybe a good word could be they, they carry just so much weight with them. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's in, in such a good way, not a uh, back to the future, this is heavy kind of way. Right. Um, but, but no, there's just weight to Jesus' own words here. And I, I um, that hymn always comes back to me for this because obviously it's singing scripture, um, but but it, it reminds me a bit of uh, my father's funeral uh, because it was um, that was the hymn that we sang during communion oh, wow. um, at his funeral. And um, this notion of Christ raising us up on the last day um, in terms of the resurrection. Uh, so he, he points us to that this bread that he gives, this life that he gives, has both a present life and a future life, perhaps, right? That it's, it's life given right now and life that will come. Mm. Um, it reminds me, um, of course, of, of, the, of uh, Lazarus and, and Jesus speaking to Mary, where, um, you know, do you believe Mary? And uh, she says, yes, Lord, I, I, I believe. And, and Jesus basically says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. Right. Um, and so th- there's a, a sense of a future raising up here. I will raise him up on the last day. So Jesus is tying promises to, to the bread of life. Um, mm. yeah. yeah. Does it seem like, Joe, does it seem like John, um, he has these crescendos of profundity where he really, um, of his teaching um, on the divine nature, right? We see this in the upper room discourse um, where, where there's some like deeply Trinitarian teaching, teaching um, and also on how we relate to Christ and how Christ relates to the Father. And there's some of that yeah. happening here. But when John has a crescendo like this, um, so, sometimes uh, it's, it's, it's overwhelming to us or it's it's depth of profundity is because he's uniting um like five different themes so i i have written down here (laughs) the connections between the body capital b like his body the loveliness the importance of his body for for believers for humanity right um communion and we can talk about that in a moment if we'd like 
um, Trinity, right? So we've got I and the Father, right? So the 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 relation of the God, the, the interpersonal relation in the Godhead, and resurrection, hmm. that these things are all knit together. You can't talk about one without the other, right? They're they're all uh, intertwined mystically in a lovely hmm. way. Um, that for believers who have been soaked in the faith, baptized, taught, um, soaked in the Word of God. Um, deep in prayer, deep in the scriptures, um, these things intuitively make sense, these connections. Um, and yet this is quite mystical, right? <laughs> so, uh, I mean, let, let's look at, look at this for a moment. We have, first of all, the connection between his body, right? So, so the metaphor that he's giving, he says, his body is like the bread from heaven. Why? Um, well, your fathers ate man in the wilderness and they died. Um, and that was bread that came from heaven. And it was pretty good. Like it, it fed them for, you know, many years, right? Um, but eventually they died. I am bread from heaven. So he's saying something bold, right? About his divinity, right? He's coming from heaven. He's bread and he will feed us. And when we feed on bread from heaven, you have immortality, right? You're partaking of immortality. So mm -hmm. that's the communion aspect, right? So we commune with the divine nature and having the divine nature um, in us, um, we will be raised up on the last day. Then we have the Trinitarian element, right? Which John, does it seem like John is constantly dipping his toe in Trinitarian waters? Joe, is that fair to say? I mean, it, 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 it tends to... At his baptism? I, mean, I, would, I would say in John, you see, at least in the first half, um, a more of an emphasis on the Father and the Son, as you get closer towards like he has this incredible teaching i mean jesus goes goes towards the holy spirit kind of towards um i want to say john um 13 or john john, john, john yeah john 14 actually yeah i will give you another comforter the spirit of truth right 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 yeah um but but you can't help but um again when you're doing biblical theology like you can't help but but see like for instance when when um when you hear of um John chapter 3 where he talks about being born again um he talks about those who are born of water and, and the, the spirit. spirit yes yeah and um even in, in John 1 where it goes back to creation mm. uh, you mm -hmm. you can't help but but think of the spirit who hovered over yes. uh, creation um and and so it it just he he is saying, um, I think you're. I think you're right that there is a, a, a trinitarian at work uh, here, and um, because we also know that, um, you know, in our in our liturgy, we talk about the Holy Spirit, um, essentially communicating to us um, the gifts of God. In, in in a sense, like we we invoke the Holy Spirit to to raise us up um, uh, to to where Christ is, right? Um, I want to say that, so in our liturgy, I just want to go to it real quick, because it ties into what you're saying for communion, um, and how the Spirit is at work when we come together in, in communion. Yeah, um, while so, you're, yeah. while you're looking that up, um, let me let me uh, just say the verse that I that I was talking about when I, when yeah. I was noticing the Trinitarian connection. Um, uh, it's verse forty six here. Uh, not that anyone has seen the Father, um, except 
he who is from God. And that I'm not, that's interesting to me, right? Um, there's several times where, where Moses asks to see the father and he gets to see kind of like the hem of his robe or his backside, right? So, so mm. there's this important element element that um, in the Old Testament that, uh, that the, the father is sort of inaccessible in our in our mortal forms, right? Except he who is from God, he has seen the father, right? So Jesus is 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 doing Trinitarian revelation there, right? He's saying, what is he saying? I am from God. I have seen the Father. <laughs> And I am the bread from heaven. I mean, those are those are um, mystical, um, powerful, I guess, revelations of the divine nature, right? Yeah. So that's what I mean when I say that that there is yes. Trinitarian theology right there. Right. Right. Yeah. So did I, you find I, it? That's right. Yeah. So in in communion, it, it's it's what, and you've explained this in other podcasts, so I don't want to go too much into explaining it, but it, it's in that um the what's often called the epiclesis yes right yes so now O merciful father in your great goodness we ask you to bless and sanctify with your word and holy spirit these gifts of bread and wine that we receiving them according to your son our savior jesus christ holy institution in remembrance of his death and passion may be partakers of his most blessed body and blood so, so we see the Trinity very yes. succinctly in that, in, that, in that passage of our liturgy um, that to sanctify, to set aside this holy food that, that, that by the word, um, capital W, um, it, it has in here, um, yes. by, the, by the word and the Holy Spirit, what we are actually partaking of while is bread and wine is not bread and wine. Right. Um, that, that in some mystical way, we are partakers of Christ's body and blood. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so I, that, that, that made me think of the Holy Spirit in terms of the Spirit's work in, in bringing us to uh, Christ's body and blood. Um, but yeah, you're right. In the text, we see this dynamic where Jesus does this a lot, where I and the Father are one. Um, uh, this kind of um, sharing of the divinity. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've I've often thought I've I found the word communion lovely, um, because I think it has a double meaning for us when we gather together, um, at the Lord's table, we both commune with with one another, um, so horizontally, right, as a body of believers, um, and vertically we commune with our Lord, mm -hmm. uh, and and so there's this lovely uniting, um that binds us together, right? And, and Jesus says that in, is it John 14, right? As the Father and I are one, um, he, he, he bids that um, his followers be one as well, right? So, so that mm. is kind of, we are doing our Lord's bidding when we come together in that way. So I think there's a loveliness with that. I have a question for you before we close yes. out this segment, Joe. The very last word of this passage, uh, verse 51 I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Boy, by the way, that's that's a that's a there's no ambiguity there, right? <laughs> there's no getting around that. That's lovely. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Mm. What's the Greek word that's used there for flesh? Um 
I don't know. But, <laughs> like, is but, it Sarks uh, or is it? Is Sar- yeah, because because uh, uh, Sarkis is where we get the words. I always remember this, where we get the word sarcasm um, <laughs> to bite into one's flesh. I remember that from my from my undergraduate. Oh, when it came right. To, like, so sarcasm cut. is biting. Like, yes. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. So so to say that one has biting sarcasm is actually redundant. <laughs> but i i think the but i think the the um i'm sorry your your question was a greek question yes i have my own thoughts about where you might be going with this but i'll let you continue to ask no 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 no, no. i i was i was sort of lobbing it to you i was i was setting you up for the spike <laughs> i mean w- women's volleyball is quite astounding uh, right now for it the is. american team it, it is, is amazing <laughs> um no, when I read that, so I, it's interesting. I, reading this text, I think of some of the, uh, something, some, someone of the creed, right? So I am the bread that came down from heaven, the incarnation, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it speaks of the incarnation and the sense of the father and I are one, the divinity of Christ, com- the divinity of the son coming down and taking physical form, um, the incarnation. Uh, when I when I see that I give for the life of the Lord is my flesh, um, I actually get to the cross in that moment where that that is it's it's not just um, like bread is given to be eaten to be broken, and, and so Christ's body that came came down from heaven, the bread that came down to heaven was was to be broken, um, that his flesh was given up. Um, and, and then this, this leads us to the resurrection, um, where we, in fact, will share in this resurrection of, of Christ, raising him up on the last day. Um, and again, this pointing to communion, where we say in the creed, the communion of all the saints, that we share in this divine table together, both in a vertical and horizontal sense. Mm. So when, when I see flesh, I, I, I actually see the, um, the tearing apart of Christ's body, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, that my flesh was to be given away. Um, and, and so that that's my... So there's guess, an intentional yeah. earthiness. Like instead of kind of just uh, being gentle and saying body, um, it's prefiguring that it must be, um, I, well, f- right, flesh, like meat. <laughs> like yeah, something that's ripped yeah. apart. Yeah. 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 Any, yeah. any any final thoughts, uh, Joe? Um, any last word? Just just any last words oh no (laughs) better get them in now um i guess the 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 thing at the beginning i love when jesus i know john's doing this but jesus is speaking it where jesus is very blunt about the will of the father um you you know uh, like the, the first question is what are the works of god and jesus kind of surprises them i think by saying um, this is the work of God. This is a, a very blunt thing to say. This is it. He who <laughs> believes on the Son, <laughs> right? Uh, believes on the one whom the Father has sent. And here we see it happening again here in verse 37. Um, this promise of all that the Father gives me will uh, will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And then it goes to verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. Mm. And he repeats another will um, in verse 40. 
For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I think many of us have these questions, particularly in, um, you know, when we think about the pandemic, when we think about terrible things that happen, like what is the will of the Father? Like what is God's will in my life and for the life of the world? And I think we have these pressing questions, and, and Jesus gives this remarkable um, word that the will of the Father is to look on the Son, that there would be eternal life, that there would be resurrection. Um, and, and so it, it gives us a sense that God isn't just like sitting up there twiddling his thumbs, um, but that he is in fact good um, and is at work in our lives, that his will is actually for 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 the good of of his creation um and and it's always in relationship to the son i think i said this the last time i was on the podcast but i know i said it in a sermon but there is a sense that christianity is the is the most exclusive and inclusive religion um it is uniquely um um inclusive because we we see that it's for the whole scope of creation that God's love and and fullest uh, intent is towards a people, towards, um, you know, John 3 says, for God so loved the world that he gave. And yet we see that it is the most um, exclusive because he he points in on the son. John does this very, very directly. He says, whoever believes on the son. Um, And what I emphasized last week in my sermon was what... um, what, what John is getting at, what Jesus is getting at, is, is to say that we've been given the sole object of our faith. Um, we're putting all of our chips in one basket. Um, we're saying Christ alone versus everything else that would compete for us, that would compete for our affections. So we reject any false hopes, any false messiahs, and we're putting it all on one person. Um and, and so, anyway, so I, I, I just, uh, I think about that for this text, because the will of the Father is to not lose anyone who, whom he has called, and, and so we see this dynamic of, of, of inclusive and exclusiveness happening in God's economy, economy perhaps. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is, that is lovely, Joe. That is great. And, uh, and, and, and Jesus uh, can speak with authority. Um, because even though he looks like a, like just a man, right? Like, isn't this the son of Joseph? Um, he says, he implies that he has seen the father. But Joe, was there ever any point in time when Jesus um, looked maybe extra human? <laughs> Transition. Transition. theology segment uh today is the feast of the transfiguration uh the 
Uh, the Western Catholic Church celebrates uh, the Feast of the Transfiguration on August 6th. Joe, what is the Transfiguration and why do we celebrate it today? Yeah, well, first I'll say, when I first started reading the Bible, I thought this was one of the weirdest events <laughs> yes. in the Gospels. <laughs> I, I just thought, what's going on here? It just was so weird. And when I first heard the word transfiguration, I I was about maybe 13 at the time. And I was, an, I was a new Christian. I wasn't raised in the church. And I really thought they were talking about transformers, like, like more than meets the eye kind of a thing, uh, right. Optimus Prime. And I was really into it at, as, at the time. I'm still into it. But uh, no, the, the interesting, the transfiguration is a, is a such a strong and um, it's emphasized in every gospel and yes. even in first Peter, first Peter. Um, it gets a shout out. And um, it, in first Peter, it emphasizes the, the eyewitness account of Peter, James, and John looking upon Christ as he is transfigured, which transfigured uh, means transformed. Um, they're given this image of Jesus, of his glory. Um, they go up. So that, so Jesus takes three of his disciples up a mountain to pray. Um, and in this moment, Jesus is raised. I mean, other, other gospel writers describe the event a little bit differently. Like some say his clothing was radiant as white, that it was like it was, um, you know, bleached or something like that. Other, the appearance other, of his face was altered, whatever that yeah, means. Yeah, the appearance of his face. Yeah. Or, or that there was a sense of shining light coming upon him. And, yeah. but, but so all of them have this appearance of light and a sense of transformation of his, essentially of his body, of his appearance. Um, and always it includes the appearance of Elijah and Moses. Um, I think it's a bit interesting how, and a bit weird that today, August 6th, is the day for the, the Feast of the Transfiguration. I always thought it was weird. And I think the history is actually a, a Pope just said, yeah, let's make it this day. Um, <laughs> but what's interesting, and I, I would love to talk to the people in charge of this to say, can't we think of this, is that there are two times where we hear the transfiguration in the church calendar. We would hear it today on the feast day, but also it's always the last Sunday of Epiphany. Yep. Um, and yeah, and so... I always thought the feast day should be the last Sunday of Epiphany. That that was my humble opinion, um, because in that church calendar we see that Christ is coming down the mountain right, and He's right. setting His sight to Jerusalem. Um, the apostles, when they see this sight, they say, um, "I love." I forget which gospel writer says this, but Peter speaks up and says, uh, "The gospel writer says," and Peter didn't know what he was saying. Uh, but then he said, Lord, it's good that we're here. <laughs> um, and that's when the father interrupts Peter and says, this is my beloved son. Um, listen to him. And then all of the kind of glory is kind of faded away and they go down the mountain. And that is essentially a transition time where he's now kind of making a turn towards the cross. Um, so anyways, um, I, I think what's um, a couple of things that are going on in the transfiguration that are important to, to look at. And, and I'll, you know, turn to you, um, Kirk, Kirk, for, for your thoughts too. But um, the, the first is the, um, 
is one, we see that, that Jesus is, is, to, is revealing his glory. Uh, he's revealing his uh, divinity. He's giving a, a kind of window into what we, we, we don't see. Um, and, and this is him. It, it, it's kind of like... Um, but I thought Jesus as yeah. God is a second century creation. Thank you. Tongue in cheek. Okay, go on. <laughs> no, they. I, I think the gospel writers knew something. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, the the so we see that Christ's divinity is is being uh, displayed here. The the other um, one is the appearance of Moses and Elijah, which seemed kind of odd, but but the but most interpreters of of, of this would agree that this. Moses and Elijah would always represent the law and the prophets. Um, and so here we see that Christ um, is, in fact, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Um, and, and so, you know, it's interesting. We don't know what they're chatting about because they say it says they were discussing amongst themselves something. Um, but but anyways, it, 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 it smacks of that sense of they were comparing being, uh, magnificent beards. If, uh, yes, Renaissance, that's if right. Renaissance right. art is any indication, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, your beard, your beard is spectacular. So is yours. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the uh, I, I want to say it's in Deuteronomy where Moses spoke of um, there was a better Moses to come, mm. a truer Moses to come. Yes. Um, and, and, and so, um, and so we see Christ taking that as well, but, but also as the, fulfillment of the law the torah the first five books of the bible and also the um, the fulfillment of all righteousness in our behalf um and of course elijah being the prophets um a, a sense of uh of of the promises and, and and judgments of the prophets being revealed in christ and, and coming to fruition all they had spoken of christ of the christ to come has had, had come um and then finally, the, the voice of heaven, the Father's voice. This is my son. Listen to him, which takes us back to the baptism of Jesus, right? Um, it, it's meant to remind you of that. Um, and, and there's a sense that, you know, I think I want to say each gospel, when they talk about, at least the synoptic gospels, when they talk about the voice booming, it then says, and then there was Jesus left alone. Like everything else had faded away but it was just him. And so it almost, as you're reading, it makes you think, okay, um, I meant to see Jesus. Uh, and when I read the prophets and the law, I see it through Jesus alone. Um, so I now read Moses and Elijah through Christ um, as that yeah. primary means of exegesis. Yes. Yeah. So those are my, my thoughts on transfiguration. Yeah. Uh in Exodus 34, we sort of have a prefiguring of this involving mm -hmm. Moses, right? Um, I, I, you talk about as a, as a kid, as a kind of a new Christian, reading the transfiguration and finding it quite trippy. I remember this, Exodus 34, as a kid, finding this super trippy, mm. right? So Moses comes down from Sinai, he has the two tablets, um, and he doesn't know that the skin of his face is shining because he's been talking with God and Aaron and all the people see Moses and they're like, behold, the skin of your face shineth. <laughs> and they, they're, they're afraid to come near him. Right. Yeah. But Moses yeah, says, no, 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 no. Come, come to me. 
And so they, they come to him and he talks to them and all the people of Israel draw near and he tells them, hey, this is what's on the tablet and this is what God told me at Sinai. Um, and then after he's done speaking with him, he has to put a veil on his face because it's all just too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when Moses, he would go in to God, he would remove the veil and then he'd come out and, um, and then he'd tell the people of Israel what God commanded and the people of Israel would see that his face was still shining and he'd have to put the veil on again, right? So there's something, there's almost like a transitive property to the glory of God that like, like, um, so, so Augustine uses this as an example of um, um, how a Christian can't exist alone, right? We're a poker that's in a fire, right? And mm. when it, you put a poker into a fire and you pull the poker out, um, it glows, it shines. Not because pokers have any power to glow and shine, but because it was in the fire, right? Mm. Um, yeah. So like Moses is like, like you and me, just like a cold poker, right? <laughs> but he's put in the fire <laughs> and he shines for a while. But Jesus instead, Jesus is the fire, right? Mm. And so he kind of lets the, lets the mask slip for a moment and lets them see his glory, which brings me to kind of um, my, 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 my other point, which is purely speculative. This is extra biblical, Joe. So, so, so feel free to slap me down on this. But I wonder if this was fortification for Peter, James, and John, um, reassurance that this is all real. I mean, it's worth it uh, because, as you just mentioned, they're going to come down from this mountain uh, and they, they go straight to Jerusalem and then Holy Week. And what comes next for Peter, James and John is really uh, a week, a, a week of shock and misery. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And even then longer term than beyond beyond Holy Week, uh, a life that will eventually um, grind them down and end in martyrdom right? A life of service yeah. to Jesus. Like he's going to call it, you know, he'll, he'll ask Peter later at the end of John, like feed my sheep, <laughs> you know, go to the ends of the earth and, and feed them all. And Peter does unto death, right? So I wonder if this is fortification um, as, as a pivot, as they pivot to Holy Week, and then in, in Acts, um, really a period of uh, beatings, <laughs> and um, trial and hardship as they go out in, in really profound acts of ministry, but also a, a period of hardship in their life. What do you think of that? Plausible speculation? Yeah, yeah I, I, I can see where you're, you're getting at with that. Uh, I was, it made me want to go to actually uh, Peter, uh, the, the Episcopal Peter, when he talks about the transfiguration. It's in Second Peter, I believe. Yeah. Um, which that's a great lesson. I, I love that. It's uh, 2 yeah, Peter so 1, 13. 2 Peter 1, 1, 16. Yes, yes. Um, it says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, 
to which you will do well to pay attention to as to, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the dawn, the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Um, so anyways, I, I, I think that the, um, yeah, I think there's some truth here when, when it comes to, um, essentially this is not made up stuff, right? This is, this is not myths. These are not things that we're just kind of making up for ourselves, but, but, but a sense of, um, these are, these are pillar moments in our time with Jesus where we were eyewitnesses of what actually transpired. Um, and, 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 and in a sense, um, that this is now for, for you, um, for this ministry that we're in right now. So I, I guess like in terms of the event, giving them a sense of, um, in, in, in a sense of enduring faith mm. for what was to come, um, is there is there for them for the, for the ministry yes i love it so uh, basically what we're saying is that jesus was a bit of a shapeshifter speaking of shapeshifters <laughs> you you are just so full of these transitions <laughs> amazing <laughs> amazing For our culture segment today, we are talking about Loki. Loki is an American television series created by Michael Waldron for the streaming service Disney Plus based on Marvel Comics character Loki. Who is Loki, you ask, Joe? Well, in short, Loki, according to the MCU, that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is the biological son of the ruler of the Frost Giants. But he is found as a child by Odin and taken to Asgard and raised by Odin and Frigga as an Asgardian prince, along with Thor. When Thor was to be crowned king, Loki had sabotaged the coronation by letting the frost giants attack Asgard. You can watch all of this in the movie Thor, thus leading Thor to seek vengeance on the frost giants, which results in Thor's banishment to earth and Loki finding out the truth about his heritage. Loki, the Disney Plus series, is the third series third television series in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, produced by Marvel Studios, sharing continuity with the films of the franchise. So where does this take place, you may ask, Joe? The series takes place after the events of the film Avengers Endgame, which came out in 2019, in which an alternate version of Loki created a new timeline. To start, Joe, can you give us a two-minute spoiler-free plot summary of season one of loki because warning spoilers will come shortly yes i i should say so i'll give the spoiler free one and then <laughs> you can just turn off the whole podcast because i think we're going to go into a whole lot of spoilers <laughs> yes but i i actually to, to help with time i'm just going to read <laughs> i think it actually summarizes it quite better than i could but the premise on wikipedia for the show okay um so it says, after stealing the Tesseract during the events of Avengers Endgame, an alternate version of Loki is brought to the mysterious Time Variance Authority, the TVA. The TVA. Yes. It is a bureaucratic organization that exists outside of time and space and monitors the timeline. 
they give Loki a choice. Face being erased from existence due to being a time variant or help fix the timeline and stop a greater threat. Loki ends up trapped in his own crime thriller, Traveling Through Time. Yes. I thought that was a great premise. I mean, that's like, I want to watch that. Yeah. And it <laughs> and turns out to be it. a bit of a, um, like a, like a buddy, buddy cop comedy, right? So yeah. it starts I, with one set of buddies and then the second half is like another set of buddies that's unlikely, but. Right. So we start with uh, Owen Wilson's character as his mm-hmm. like unlikely um, buddy cop, um, uh, like buddy cop. Uh, and and what is Owen Wilson's character, Joe? Yeah, he is uh, Mor- Mor- Morbius or Mobius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to say Morbius, but that is the other Marvel character. But let's be honest. Um, he's just playing Owen Wilson. He really is. And he's brilliant. <laughs> yes. I, I actually love um, this character. Um, and I'm so glad they didn't kill him off, even though yes. you were thought to believe that. Um, it, he just plays it perfectly. I, I was, uh, I hyped him up a lot in my head when I first saw the previews and then he lived up to all the hype yes. actually. So yes, he is really being Owen Wilson. Same which things like, because... come on, man. <laughs> yeah. But what, what I like about him is that he actually, it's almost like a, a bit of a cat and mouse game between the two. Yes. Uh, between him and Loki. And sometimes there's a bit of a trust deficit for several episodes, right? <laughs> right. But, but sometimes they switch roles. Like one gets the best of the other. It, right. It's not right. like Loki's always the one. Cause I think people assumed oh, he'll be in control of everything. Um, but no, he's, he actually finds himself in a place where he's not the great God of mischief. Like he, he yeah. he's getting fooled. Yeah. Um, so what binds the show, gets fooled. Yeah, so what binds the two of them together is Loki with rather grandiosely, right, which is characteristic of Loki, um, with great grandiosity, wants to tear down the entire TVA, wants to blow it all up. Uh, but but Owen Wilson's character, who's just kind of a mid-level bureaucrat, right, at the TVA, he's got a niggling sense that something's rotten with the TVA, something's not as it appears. And so am I characterizing this correctly? Yeah, that, that probably comes a lot later in the okay. show, like with his kind of distrust. I would say that that in general, he really believes that they have a unique purpose. Right. Um, that they are, so the TVA. Okay, so right, right they, right. they find themselves with the unique purpose of preserving the timeline. Um, that their job is to go throughout different places that have um, these blips where it could throw the timeline off and cause just utter chaos and by the timeline we basically mean destiny correct yeah yeah and and so when loki in that movie of avengers takes the tesseract and blips out and goes <laughs> into he cuts off into a new timeline and so um that's where the tva comes in to correct whatever he's doing um so in this show you have these elements so you have these this uh these group of people that they're called the, the time uh, keepers. And so there's this belief that there's these, these core group of guys who essentially order all of time and keep the order of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets into these, the show gets into these questionable areas of free will, of who's overseeing what, 
Like is the, and so um, it, it just gets into those kinds of themes, which Marvel is just doing with all their other movies. So for instance, they're going to go this way with Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, they're going to go this direction with um, Wanda um, and also Dr. Strange. A lot of it has to do with alternate realities and alternate timelines um, and getting down to like these bigger questions of existence. <laughs> um, but really also, I would say questioning an ultimate good in the universe, right? Um, I, I think there um, is there a benevolent hand at the tiller or is there not? Is that what you mean? Right, right. Yeah. And and um, I, I think that they are really, um, I mean, it's no secret to say that Hollywood is just pushing against Christianity in general and purports their own kind of um, narrative of sorts. Um, and so we, we do see not just a questioning, but almost like well, if you believe anything like this, then you're just a beer. You're like the TVA. You're a bureaucratic, um, like fool. Right. Um, so even to believe in a God who orders all things in the world, um, that that's that you're essentially no different than the evils of the TVA. Um, yeah. Anyways, that that's I caught that, but but what you saw here was the the desire to want to, for me at least, was to believe that someone is in fact above all of these things and and is good um and for many people that's being overtly optimistic maybe pie in the sky not realistic to the way things are um but look we heard in our text from john like we see a revelation of what the will of the father is um and it, and it surprises us yeah um anyways i'm kind of getting ahead of myself maybe with with things but well, okay, so let's back up a little bit then, Joe, and explain yeah. the reason that the time that the TVA doesn't just disappear Loki right away once they have him under custody is because they need him. Because there's another Loki out there that is yes. wreaking havoc with, quote, the timeline, right? And they can't catch this other Loki. And so then for, from here, let, we're, we're going to get spoiler heavy. It turns out that other Loki is it's a girl a woman it's a woman <laughs> right yeah, and yeah. this is the other buddy in the buddy cop so so and the chemistry is great both between higgleston and uh tom higgleston right is that his name actually yeah. plays loki yep and uh and owen wilson but it's also pretty good between tom higgleston and um and this actress's name who forgive me i do not have yeah, it front, but she's great um she does not trust him he becomes infatuated with her quite quite quickly. And so it's funny, right? Like, like he's trying to flirt with her and she just doesn't have time for him at all. And so that- But, gets but she finds him. himself falling for him. Yeah, like you, sure. It's very, it's interesting. Like you, um, in the end, it, it's actually kind of a ruse. So she actually becomes the bigger God of mischief than the other Loki right. in the end. Right. Um, right. Because what we see in, um, anyways, but, but, the big reveal, I think, in the show is that there are multiple Lokis, right? Right. There are there are there's, all there's even Lokis. A, a alligator Loki. Yes, an alligator. Who, who, in, Loki. who in like this uh, this melee that breaks out like bites the arm <laughs> off of one of the other Lokis? Yes, yes. <laughs> and just completely overpower. I mean, he's like a really powerful. Loki. Yeah, and couple a couple um, of Lokis can understand what the alligator is saying. Like, there's like yeah. comedic, like oh, stop it, or oh, go back to your pond, or whatever. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, 
yeah so you have like these different loki's from different timelines that are also have have tried to escape from the tva and they've and they're of, all um, huddled on this the end the, in the end of the world right that's that's yes. kind of one of the one of the reveals um how do these variants escape the notice of the tva well um um, it, evidently the TVA can't find you if you're at kind of a nexus point, like for example, like where Mount Vesuvius blows up, like where if there's an apocalyptic event, if you're at literally the end of a world, the TVA can't find you because there it's a nexus event, right? Like there are too many right. kind of things happening, right? So that's where these, uh, these Lokis are huddling is at the end of all things. And yep. there's, there appears to be this, um, I guess, for lack of a better word, this lost monster. Do you remember the monster from Lost? Yes. <laughs> That's what he looks monster. like. The, the smoke, smoke monster. monster from Lost. <laughs> so like you, the smoke monster from Lost won't eat you up at this planet at the end of the world if you like just kind of huddle quietly. And so all these Lokis who are the gods of mischief are like, are, are, are cruelly destined to do nothing, right? Like they're, so far as I can tell, they're like in the ruins of a bowling, bowling alley underground. Just yeah, kind of like yeah. dr drinking and fighting and like remaining underground. They're just trying to survive. That, yeah. That's really their goal right now. And <laughs> and so Sylvie, who's the female Loki, yeah. she she seeks to essentially um, um, manipulate through magic. Um, what's it called? Uh, enchant. Enchant. Yes. yes she yes. she thinks that she can enchant this smoke monster because her goal is to essentially find the wizard behind the curtain. Her goal is to find out what J.J. Abrams' plan was for the end of Lost. <laughs> yeah. But as we all know, there was no plan. Okay, go, go ahead. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so to, to find the the per, the the, uh, the wizard behind the, the, the curtain um, to, 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 and to, to kill him. Like, her goal is to kill him. Um, Loki, I don't think, actually knows what he wants. Right. But in the end, he actually wants her. Yep. Like, he wants her to be happy and safe um that's a so one of the things that this whole that this whole show kind of plays with is, is kind of like can people change yes and to and, and because so, thor often cruelly yeah. reminds loki like we know what you're gonna do right, right. throughout the various mo mcu movies doesn't he like very cruelly like you're gonna flake out i don't care what you say and you're gonna do something that's gonna tear down the whole plan because you're Loki, and that and it always like eats at Loki, doesn't it? Yep. Thor doesn't and care even, uh, because Owen of course. Wilson, um, yeah, yeah. Owen Wilson says something very similar where he said, uh, "What was it?" Uh, he says, uh, "You're gonna just stab people. You're just gonna stab me in the back." And yep. he's like, "It's like no, I won't." And he's like, "Loki, you've literally stabbed people in the back fifty <laughs> times in your life, or yes. something like that." <laughs> and he's like, "Well, I won't do it this time." <laughs> <laughs> But I, I think what's striking is that um, you do see a change in this Loki, not just in this Loki. So what was so moving to me, and I shared with you in the pre-show, is so each of these Lokis is from a different timeline, a kind of, well, what if things happen this way kind of timeline, right? So the what if, like, Loki is an alligator, you know? Everyone knows um, that General Custer died at the Battle of... <laughs> What is it? At, at the Battle of Wounded Knee, that's not it. Um, what oh, this presupposes uh, is that he didn't. Yes. You know what that's from? <laughs> yes. Owen yes, Wilson's uh, character okay. in the Royal Tenenbaums. That's right. That's right. He's like that this total Wilson. flaky writer. <laughs> what, this, what my book presupposes is that he didn't. 
Okay. Did he? So, <laughs> so what this presupposes is so, that so anyways, these Lokis, so, back to you. Yes, yeah, sorry. So you have these different Lokis, the kind of what if this happened to this Loki. And the one Loki that that I think I, I'm most drawn to in the show is the, the what's called the future Loki. Yes. He is an old version of Loki who's actually probably um, one of the most powerful ones, but has always kind of kept it at bay because yeah. he's what's kind the of... Point? Yeah, what's the point? Like he kind of gives up being the god of mischief, essentially, and survives. Mm-hmm. And he grows old. He doesn't get killed by Thanos. He he um, thing he, he just kind of gives up. And so he wears this very retro-looking outfit of Loki, <laughs> it's so which great. is hilarious. Like from um, a 1958 but, comic book or something. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's like the original Loki <laughs> yes, it is. outfit. Yep. Um, but he's able to make these incredibly... Uh, um, these illusions and, and strong illusions. And so when it comes to the point where Sylvie, the girl Loki and our Loki that we know go to confront the, the guy behind the curtain, um, they have to face a smoke monster. They're going to try to, you know, um, enchant him. Old Loki surprises everyone by coming to help them. When everyone else has kind of turned their back, he comes and he creates this illusion to lure the smoke monster away so that they could go where they need to go. All right. Why is this? Why am I saying this? Well, talking about this notion of the surprising element of change that happens in a character's life. So a a common phrase that Loki says in the movies is the phrase glorious purpose. Yes. That I have this glorious purpose and it always has to do with like being on top by being the person who is the ruler by being the the conqueror, all these things. And this old Loki creates this illusion, lures the smoke monster away, and he's about to be consumed by the smoke monster. And all he could say is glorious purpose. And what I what struck me about that is in my maybe I'm looking too much into it. I can be corrected. But but I think like I think about what Jesus says: whoever loses his life will find in this world will find it. Um, and I think that when he gave up his life and actually cared about someone else and gave himself up, right. that he found a glorious purpose. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, you could just see it on his face as he embraced his own death, actually, yeah. uh, because he believed it was for something bigger than himself. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So um, you had brought up determinism and, and free will, and uh, that is that is an obvious tension in this show in that... The idea that this TVA exists, which is just like this grinding mid-level bureaucracy, the TVA is a, a, what would happen if uh, Purgatory and the DMV had a child, right? <laughs> That's absolutely right. <laughs> right. Okay. So it's like, or if the DMV ran Purgatory, right? So it's yes. just it's this grinding, soulless, faceless bureaucracy that, that essentially its whole point is to prune um, the multiverse down to one timeline. That is destiny. And so uh, you and I kind of, um, before we began recording, we said like, um, is the concept of an omniscient timekeeper, is that just another word for determinism? And of course, I mean, theologians have been grappling with this for ages, right? This is not a new question, but it's interesting that pop culture is, is, is thinking this through, right? So is, uh, I mean, Christians have grasped with a, a, um, a milder version, right, is is foreknowledge 
predestination, right? So like if, if, if God who can see all of time in a glimpse, that is, that's what foreknowledge means, right? Like he sees Adam and Eve eating the tree at the same moment that he sees the, the end of all things, right? He sees all of it in a glimpse, right? Is that the same as determinism, right? So uh, we grapple with that and it's, that's, there are different, different takes on that. Um, but what about an omniscient timekeeper, a timekeeper who's like pruning all possible outcomes? Um, is that just determinism? And so there's something um, plucky and human and we just instinctively root for the, the people that want to upset that apple cart. Why do we root for that? I, I think it's, I think it's because we want to take control of our lives. Like we yeah. want to have control in our lives. We don't want to think that, um, that anyone could, could actually be in charge of me. Um, and you could, you could see that sense of in the, in the end of the, the last show, when yes. this guy who was talking about why he's doing what he's doing, the look on Sylvie's face is like, <laughs> liar liar yes. <laughs> like you're just full of lies and you know he's not lying actually like uh there's because he shows them the script about. like you were just yes, gonna say this. Yes. this is where you say this in the script <laughs> yeah but the the really powerful moment is when he he realizes and he's and so the guy who is the behind the curtain he's actually just a normal guy uh it's revealed that he's a very smart dude from the future who essentially uh, was able to create multiple versions of himself or no, he brought together multiple yes. versions of himself from the timelines. Yeah. Um, and they had this kind of understanding that they would in fact try to maintain peace and order in this kind of one timeline. And, and some of these characters didn't really, <laughs> weren't, weren't very, uh, they had a very particular way of seeing what that timeline should look like. Um, and one is, is, is basically a, a big villain, um, who essentially becomes the guy, Khan, the, the Kang, the conqueror, right. um, he becomes the main villain towards the end. It's revealed that, uh, he's actually arrived. So, yeah. I mean, anyways. this is really setting up for the next generation of films, which That's like, right. so from a marketing standpoint, man, it has set the hook effectively. I think with young people, my oh, kids yeah. are so excited about Kang the Conqueror, like Thanos is so in their rearview mirror now. <laughs> like they're they're excited to see what comes next here with Kang. So. Yeah, which I, anyways, this goes down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but like there's a uh, connections of this character to two main groups of Marvel movies that are going to be incredible. One is the, the next Ant Man movie, yeah, um, which rumor has is also going to be connected to the new Fantastic Four movie. Um, <laughs> They're really going to try to reboot that thing. They really are. No, they really are. I'll tell you they what, really I are. didn't, I didn't dislike that one, whatever they came out like 2005. Yeah. The, uh, Where Chris Evans played, uh, uh, played yes, uh, Human, Human Torch. Torch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we were all supposed no, to forget that that ever happened. <laughs> yeah. This one. So my, I think the rumor is, is that this Fantastic Four will actually come, like they will be a group of heroes that started in the 1960s. And they found themselves in the quantum realm okay. um, and got stuck in time. And so they all kind of like, so when they come back to the, to the present, they'll be like almost like retro 1960s superheroes. Anyways, yeah. that's a theory. But, yeah. and, but the point being is that you have um, an excitement about this character who's come on board 
that deals with time travel, time um, timelines, realities being altered, those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, so a couple final questions for you. Was it any good? So that's what it was all about. Mm. Was it good? I mean, so I, I guess it, it depends on how you, you see it. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought it was a great movie, a, ter- a great show in terms of the Marvel universe building itself. Um, I think I was really surprised by the, the, like what happened to our Loki, right? Yeah. Because we've actually come to really, so if, if the show Loki never existed and we just had the Loki we know, we actually like believed in him, right? Because he, he was killed by Thanos and he actually was trying to protect his brother, I think. Right. But we could have been lied to. We don't know. Um, right. The, but the point being is that this Loki kind of put himself on the table. Like he, he basically showed all of his cards and he in, found himself actually ironically and in, in, in love with himself. Um, <laughs> in some ways it could be a movie of him finding himself. I don't know. <laughs> so I get, I gather there was some chatter. Uh, I, I don't go on Reddit or whatever, but like there was some chatter that this was weird and gross and uh, yes. narcissistic. My I, wife said that, that. That didn't that didn't occur to me at all. And then it, it and didn't then until I, my I, wife said something. So I gather then this was like a Rorschach test. Like if you didn't find this off putting, that meant that you were an insufferable narcissist. Like you would totally date yourself. <laughs> and then I thought, like, would I date female me? I probably would. Like, <laughs> and then other people were like, that is awful. I would never de- date the date the female version of me. So I don't think any of that is interesting. What I'm what I'm uh, I'm worried about uh, is that unintentionally um, Marvel has jumped the shark, uh, and and they're asking us to no longer take seriously uh, all the stuff that for ten years we had to take seriously. And here's what I mean. Mm. Okay, the Infinity Gauntlet. One by one, these collection of Infinity Stones, each one of them carry. In, in your fingers, you can carry the destiny of galaxies, of whole timelines. Then we show up at the TVA in, what is it, episode two? Yeah. And there's like a bureaucrat just kind of accidentally has a drawer open and like tosses. Yeah. And, and Loki gasps, like, are those all infinity stones? Oh, oh, those? Oh, yeah. I, what, what does he say? Like a, oh, He oh, says yeah. we use them as paperweights. We use them as paperweights. You know what that reminds me of? And Loki said, so real quick, but and Loki says this when he's in shock of it all. <laughs> yeah. He looks out at the TVA and he says this. Is this really the ultimate power in the universe? <laughs> like he, he kind of has a moment of, have I actually come to the place where this is the ultimate right. power? So I realized from a storytelling purpose... What the writers are doing is they're asking us to grapple with the gravity of what the TVA is. Okay, I get that. But the same point, like, it's just a drawer full of paperweights. That's all the Infinity Stones were? Like, for the last three years, I've seen kids in the neighborhood with Infinity Gauntlets, like, play Infinity Gauntlets, like, marching around. Like, they're going to, like, wink all of, like, half of creation out of existence. Like, and now, like, they're just paperweights. So, you know what that reminded me of, Joe? Um, I have really tried hard to like the final trilogy 
of Star Wars. But one thing that made me know that, that the writers weren't taking their task or their viewers seriously was, so we have, we have uh, in, um, uh, what's, what's the, the, the first of the new trilogy? Um, the Force Awakens. In The Force Awakens, there's this, this shadowy figure, Snoke, that, uh, that Kylo Ren um, is in communication with, right? And we only see him kind of shadowy. And he looks, he's this large projection and he's sinister. And oh, so Kylo Ren is actually reporting to this larger force. And then we find out um, that Snoke is actually like this little guy, like Yoda sized, right? Um, and he has a throne room and, and Kylo Ren kills him. And, and I, don't, I don't know if it was just like different writers deciding that like, we don't need this guy as the, the grand villain. Yeah. And then in the final, in the final of the trilogies, The Rise of Skywalker, as they, um, what's the, what's the name of the evil planet? I forget. It's it's got like a I forget the name of the evil planet. So yeah, as I, as I Ray shows up out. there, um, in 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 the in this place where the emperor is being like resuscitated, right? He's on like 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 not life support, but like he's being resuscitated. Um, there's a jar, and that jar is just a jar of Snokes. <laughs> like they're just Snokes being created. There's a jar of Snokes. Like that was all he was, a jar of Snokes. Gosh. That's what yeah. this reminds me of. Like a moment when yeah. you realize like the writers just gave up trying to trying to make sense of what had come before and 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 allowing it to have heft and allowing the viewers to kind of kind of love it and to be big and real. They're just like, yeah, it was paperweights. They were paperweights. So I don't know. I, I wonder I it, Yeah, and, and you wonder about like is this just a way to make you feel, I think you already said this, but how significant this thing is, right. how much bigger this is. <laughs> yeah. But in the end, it almost kind of puts a sour note on the other stories. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know? um, yeah, I, like, I can relate Like to that. the Jar of Snokes, kind of yeah. like, well, okay, so what was what was the Force Awakens all about then? Right, so. Right. So. Yeah, I, I hope it's all fine. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, so so your question of it, is it good? Um, you know, I, I, I've had mixed feelings about it because, because I, I, I feel like that, that Hollywood's predictable in their storytelling. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just think that they have a, a certain goal in mind when they're telling stories now. Um, like for instance, they're making a big, I don't want to get too much into this, but like they're making a big deal that Loki's now the first bisexual openly bisexual character in the mcu right, right? yeah um uh anyway so I, I i'm seeing what they're doing and but even like storytelling wise for this this kind of questioning about you know the ultimate power of the universe um and um i i think that you know i when i was young i i believe that god existed but I had questions about his goodness. Mm. Those are my questions. I think that's the questions of a lot of people. Like, okay, sure, maybe I'll consent to the existence of some God, but but is he is he good? And many of us, most people would say like, well, well with what we see today, no, he's not. Um, and yet, when we when we trust that the full revelation of God is the face of Jesus Christ, um, we're looking at the God of resurrection, um, that even when the worst of things happen on a good Friday, Sunday is in fact coming. Um, and Sunday came. 
Um, And so we too, as, as we heard from our gospel text that through this God, man, um, we will be raised up on the last day. Um, And, and so it, it, it kind of, the goodness of God to me comes through the death and resurrection of the son. Um, there's, there's no other place of, of where the goodness is chiefly revealed other than in those events. Um, because Jesus said, this is what you'll share in. This is what, what we will in fact share in, in terms of resurrection. Um, anyways, so those I are think, my, I think yeah. that is a lovely, lovely note to end on. Cool. That is, that is <laughs> deep, profound. And um, I think we've, we've given people, people a lot. Joe, would you uh, close us in prayer? Sure. I will go here. All right. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, give us the increase of faith, hope, and love. And that we may obtain what you have promised. Make us love what you command. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. O God and Father of all, whom the whole heavens adore, let the whole earth also worship you. All nations obey you. All tongues confess and bless you. And men, women, and children everywhere love you and serve you in peace. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Joe, thank you so much. Thank you. You were were more than a substitute, Christopher. You were amazing. (laughs) I'm more than some Ethiopian eunuch, right? That is absolutely (laughs) correct. Joe, thank you. Have a great week. Thanks. You too, man.